Hey, we're continuing our series, The Elements of Renewal. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. Uh, we ha have a lot to go through today. So I'm just going to kind of jump right in. Uh, so from the beginning of your Bible, of the Bible, God created the world. And that world has two parts to it, physical and spiritual. And as much as we may sometimes talk about, like, it's two worlds, you have a spiritual one and a physical one, but what God really created was one good world. Not two separate worlds, but one. And in that world, there's things that we can physically experience with our senses. All right? There's five senses, not six. Even though, all right, just we, Mel Gibson kind of, not Mel Gibson, excuse me, M. Night Shyamalan kind of messed it up for us, but we only have five senses. We can experience some of those things, but also there's things that happen behind the scenes that we can't see, the spiritual things. And so we don't live in this strictly wooden physical world. We live in a spiritual one. And I think that there's part of you that understands that and believes that. And I think in culture we've seen that, right? You think about like the popularity of stranger things, right? That there's this world in a different place that kind of inner, inner, inner like comes into our world and messes things up. And I'm not going to do any spoilers, but it's a fun show to watch. But there's kind of that sense where there's another world that we can't see. Or you think about the multiverse theory that is often becoming more and more popular in physics. Is that there's a universe in which you came to church today, but there's another universe where you didn't go to church and you slept in, or you watched online. Or liberty didn't, doesn't exist in that other universe, so you didn't go to Liberty Church, you went to another one. Right? There's a kind of sense that like we, even as humans, even as people who don't believe in Jesus or in the Bible, that like there's something else out there that we can't see. We can't necessarily experience with our senses. And what the Bible says is in that spiritual world, behind the scenes, there's actually a spiritual battle going on between the powers of God which be the triune God and his angels and the powers of darkness, Satan and his demons. And our battle, that battle, takes place in our world. But particularly the battleground for that battle is our hearts. So Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, some, says this, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, the things we can sense, the things that we can feel and we can touch, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. The powers of darkness. In Matthew 6, 18, Jesus says he'll build his church on the apostles, and he says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's this idea that for followers of Jesus, we're part of this battle, very much a part of this battle, but Jesus gave in this idea that like, we're not on the retreat we're on the attack where the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. So we're on the attack, and what we do in the attack is we push back the powers of darkness. That we, and we've been given authority from Jesus to do so. See, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're here today, you have been given authority over the powers of darkness in Jesus' name. That's a power that you have. 
So when we live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus for Northeast Philadelphia and the surrounding suburbs, what we're doing is we're using our spiritual authority that's been given to us by Jesus, and we're going on the attack against the powers of darkness. And so when we look at Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20, we see three things in particular. We see the subjects of our spiritual authority. We see the source of our spiritual authority. And we also see the thrill of our spiritual authority. But you and I have spiritual authority given to us by Jesus to use over the powers of darkness. So look first, the subjects of our spiritual authority in verse 17. Pick up there again. We'll read verse 18. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. See, the powers of darkness are subjects, are subject to the followers of Jesus. By the time you get to Luke chapter 10 in in Luke's gospel, Jesus has already decided to head to Jerusalem. So what he does is he gets 72 of his followers, right? Not the 12, but 60 more. And he sends them out to prepare the way for him as he goes to, into, to Jerusalem. And what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to go into the towns, and they're supposed to preach about the coming kingdom of God, and they're supposed to heal the sick. They're going on the attack. And they're clearing the way and preparing the way for Jesus. And when they come back to Jesus... They report with joy that even the demons, even the powers of darkness, were subject to them in Jesus' name. They're surprised, they're shocked, but they're filled with joy. Jesus, we were going out healing people. We were proclaiming the kingdom of God, and even the demons were subject to us. And Jesus responds that he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven because of the work that the disciples, the 72, had done. In Isaiah 14 and Job 1, we actually find out that Satan has a consistent place in heaven, or had a consistent place in heaven. And then Jesus comes and he sends out his disciples to free people from Satan's power by healing their diseases and disabilities and casting out demons. And when they did that, Jesus says, Satan lost his place in heaven. Yeah, he's been kicked out that the beginning of the end has come for the powers of darkness. And this event had been coming for a long time. A long, long time. The first place we see Satan appears in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, let me just break this down for you a little bit. The word serpent here is what we might call a triple entendre in the Hebrew. It means it has three three different things are happening. It can be translated three different ways, and they're probably all in some way working together. All right, follow follow me? We don't have this really that much in English, but in Hebrew they do. So as a noun, the word means serpent, as is often translated. But it could also be a verb, means to, div- be, to divine. So the word actually could mean like he's the diviner. Or it can be an adjective, which means shining. So he means he's the shining one. 
So it could be serpent, could be diviner, could be shining one. All this to say, there's something different about this being, this created being, than all the other created beings. That's what the Bible is trying to say. Something's off with this guy. So here's the deal, and I want you just to roll with me, all right? And I'm sorry I'm going to put down your children's Bibles just a little bit. You just have to roll with this. But it's probably not a snake, okay? Because Eve's not dumb. She knows snakes don't talk, right? Ancient people weren't, weren't reading that and be like, oh, that's cool. Snakes used to talk. That's not what's happening here. But there's this shining, divine, serpenty being who could have shared physical attributes of a snake. Maybe it's a shining serpent. Who knows? Maybe it's a fiery serpent. The Bible uses it elsewhere, the same word, to kind of, and derivatives of that word to kind of say the same thing. But it's definitely some type of being who's deceptive and cunning and has a pers- like a personality of a snake, or as my five-year-old daughter would call him, the sneaky serpent. Right? There's something sneaky about this being. But putting all that aside, all right, that's just something to just keep in mind. One of the main issues that unfolds here in Genesis chapter 3 is a problem of authority. So there's this interesting, serpenty, shining, divine being who's been created by God, who's actually trying to reverse the authority that God has set out. See, when God created the world, he gave it an authority structure. Like, authority structures aren't something that, like, we create in the 21st century or the 20th century. We didn't do that. God actually sets out an authority structure. And it goes like this. God, humans, who are created in God's image, and then the rest of creation. That's the structure. God, humans, creation. So what happens here, though, is that when Satan convinces Adam and Eve to sin, which he does by eating by telling them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they do that, when he does that, the authority structure is reversed. It goes creation over humans over God. And what happens in that situation is sin enters the world. Death enters the world. But that's not the end. Because in Genesis chapter 3, God then curses Satan, and he also makes a promise. First, he curses Satan that Satan will have to eat dust all the serpent will have to eat dust all the days of your life. Now, again, sorry to put down the children's Bibles. That's a metaphor. It's not that snakes used to have legs and now they don't. Ancient people knew snakes didn't have legs. God is instead saying to Satan, you reversed the authority structure I laid out. You went creation, humans, me. You want authority? I'll give it to you. Not over humanity like you want it. Not over me like you want it. You know what you can have authority over? The dirt. And he promises that one day the son of Eve will rise up and exert his authority over Satan. Make the authority the right way again and crush him. And we know from the Bible that's Jesus. And there's a great children's book for this, a great children's Bible for this, called The Biggest Story, How the Snake Crusher Brings Us Back to the Garden. It's a great, great one. So Satan's primary goal now 
because he only has authority over the dirt and he knows he's going to be crushed and destroyed. His, his primary goal now is not to defeat God. Satan knows he can't defeat God. He can't destroy God. You know his primary goal is? To defeat you. To destroy you, the ones created in the image of God. Because he believes and he thinks and he knows for many of us, he can defeat us. He's not powerful enough to beat God, but he's power enough, powerful enough to beat us. And what he does is he exerts his authority over us as he did in the garden, and he turns us away from the kingdom of God and brings us into his dusty, dirty, parasitic kingdom. Gerard Van Groningen, you guys all have read him before, the, says this, the kingdom of Satan is a parasitic kingdom. A parasite is an organism that is totally dependent on another living organism. Satan's kingdom is a parasite because it cannot exist independently. It is totally and completely dependent on the cosmic kingdom of Yahweh. What he's saying is Satan and the powers of darkness can't even come up with their own stuff. They have to come up with shoddy imitations copycats, dirty, dusty virgins of God's kingdom. But nevertheless, the powers of darkness do seek to bring us into the parasitic kingdom. So Richard Lovelace, which the book we're using to kind of shape this series, in Dynamics of Spiritual Life, he says, the, there's five ways that Satan and the powers of darkness do this to us. And we need, I'm not trying to like scare you. I'm not trying to make you worried. What I'm trying to get us to see is to, to actually know the tactics of the enemy. So the first one that he uses is possession. Or it's actually better seen, just the way the Bible just talks about it, just the word is demonization. That someone can come helplessly under control of the powers of darkness. Now, we don't actually see an instance of that in the New Testament of it happening to Christians. And it's probably because of the Holy Spirit. There's no room for Satan there. But for other people, he can do that. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus talks about a boy. Jesus, sorry, Jesus sees a boy and meets a boy who is possessed by a demon, and the demon actually throws him in the fire and water. And Jesus heals him and casts out the demon. So there's possession, but there's also temptation, where Satan and his demons tempt us to sin like he tempted Eve to sin. He tempts us to sin, and the reason he wants us to do that is to make us subhuman, to make us less than the image of God, to kill our spiritual lives, and make Christians, particularly Christians, be bad representations of the gospel and God's kingdom. He figures if he can make us look bad, nobody's going to want to be a part of it. Or deception. Revelation chapter 12 says that Satan is the deceiver of the whole world. See, the powers of darkness, what they do is they deceive us by blinding us to God's truth or telling us that our sin isn't all that bad. Have you ever experienced that with your fight with sin? Oh, your sin's not that bad. I mean, that person sins worse than yours, so you're good. Or by setting up religious counterfeits. Revelations all shows that constantly. Religious counterfeits, like false religions other than Christianity. Or distorted versions of Christianity, like cults, like Mormonism, or Jehovah's Witnesses. But also versions, distorted versions of Christianity that don't reflect God's love for all the nations, like in Christian nationalism or that don't reflect Jesus' radical obedience, like Christian progressivism. These are both distorted versions of Christianity. And Satan deceives us into thinking that they are Christianity. 
or accusation is the fourth one. That Satan, the New Testament, the word Satan is actually means accuser. Satan accuses us by highlighting the flaws of the church to the outside world. Like, you ever watch, like, a YouTube video or you see something on mainstream media where, like, they, they pick some, like, crackpot pastor in the South and they're like, aha, see what the church is like? That's Satan accusing us of being like that. And most of us go to church, we're like, that guy, no, we don't, no, we don't own that guy. But Satan highlights that. Or he highlights your own inadequacies to make you feel less valuable. And you start to replay these horrible things in your head. These tracks are on repeat of like horrible things that people have told you and said about you. Oh, you're not smart enough. You'll never be good enough. You're not pretty enough. Oh, you like, somebody once said to you, you looked fat in that. And that's all you hear every time you try something new on. I look fat. I look fat. I look fat. That's Satan accusing you. God doesn't speak to you that way. But the powers of darkness are trying to destroy you, so they put those tracks on repeat. You're fat in that. You're going to always be fat in that. You're never going to be smart enough. You're never going to be able to understand that concept. You're never going to be understand when Pastor Evan, when he talks about triple entendres, you'll never be able to figure that out. Or he'll make Christians accuse one another, so we fight with each other instead of fighting against him. Right? Has that been your experience with churches? We're too busy fighting about the color of the carpet or the Bible translation or the style of music. Instead of fighting against the powers of darkness, we fight against each other. And then lastly, the fifth one is attack. So you have possession, temptation, deception, accusation, and attack. Sometimes that's experienced physically. Sometimes you get unexplained illnesses or disabilities, like the boy in Mark 9. He's unexplainably mute because of a demon. Or sometimes we're attacked physically by Satan sets up false, sets up kingdoms and anti-Christian institutions to try to destroy the church. Like many of our brothers and sisters across the world who are persecuted by institutions, by governments, that Satan sets those up, the Bible says. But sometimes you can experience it psychologically too. Sometimes it's anxiety. You just can't get out of it. Sometimes it's depression. Seasonal or clinical depression. Or other mental health issues. And I bring this all up so you know the tactics of the enemy. But I want you to realize this in your own life. Here's how it plays out practically. When you're tempted to look at inappropriate things online, or young people, when you're tempted to lie to your parents or your teachers, and you convince yourself your sin is under control, and it's not that bad, that's the powers of darkness at work. Or when voices pull you towards distorted versions of Christianity or accuse other Christians so you will fight against them instead of working alongside of them to fight against Satan. Satan cheers that on. He loves that stuff. Like We don't think Satan loves when we fight over who to vote for. You don't think Satan loves that? He loves that. Or when we fight over minute theological matters. Like, no one in the history of the church has ever agreed on exactly how to read Revelation, but I know, and all of you don't. Well, maybe bring it closer to home. Remember, like, a couple years ago when it's all, like, you would hear all the time, well, faith over fear, faith over fear, faith over fear. Right, true. 
Absolutely true. But what Satan does, he takes something truthful like that and says, hey, you know what? They are putting fear over faith. Not you, though. You always put faith over fear. I mean, I know you wear your seatbelt when you drive in the car, but you have faith over fear, man. Like, you don't think Satan was clapping and cheering like, all right, guys, fight about that stuff. Let's go. Claim that those people are putting fear over faith. Claim it. Yeah, say it. Yeah, that's them. It's not you. Don't worry about it, Evan. It's not you. You never do that. See, all these things find their source in the powers of darkness who are trying to destroy you, that's trying to destroy me, and they're trying to pull us into the parasitic kingdom. So Peter says you have to be on your guard. Peter says this, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to what? Devour. Lions are scary. But what Jesus is trying to show us, what we're, trying, we're seeing in Luke chapter 10, is that this lion is wounded and chained. Like in Pilgrim's Progress, there's a scene where the lions are chained beside the path to the celestial city. If you get close enough to the lion, he'll devour you. But if you don't, if you stay away, he's chained. You ever see a kid like run past down the block, right? And then like a dog all of a sudden like jumps at the fence and starts barking at the kid. And the kid what, like jumps back and starts crying and falls over. If the kid stopped and took a second and was like, actually, wait, the dog's behind the fence. He can't get over that fence. I'm good. But what Satan does is says, hey, 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 come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here closer. Come here. Come on. Get close. Get close. I know I'm chained up. I can't reach you. Just get a little closer. Oh, yeah, the chain, yeah. I know you see some slack on the floor, but just come a little closer. And jumps out. So Satan is chained. He's wounded. We need to be on our guard. And he's throwing tantrums right now. He's throwing tantrums like a toddler. And sometimes he throws tantrum like a toddler and he attacks other Christians through governments. Sometimes he throws a tantrum like a toddler and he comes after you and has you play that track over and over again in your head. But if you had a toddler, if you ever had a toddler in your life, you'll know that a toddler has no authority over you. You have authority over them. They have no authority over you unless you give up that authority and you give into it to pacify them. See, Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again, and he gave you the authority over the powers of darkness. So what we need to stop doing is giving it back to him so easily. We've been given a mission to fight off the parasitic kingdom, to push back darkness in our lives and in our world. We've got to stop giving it back to him so easily. What we do is we reverse the order. We give him back the authority. So like fighting with toddlers, we get tired. We give in to the toddler. We give up our authority because it feels easier. But really what's behind it is laziness. We get lazy. Peter says, be watchful. Be sober-minded. That's active. You can't get lazy. And so when the powers of darkness, they kick, whine, and scream, and they want you to give in to temptation... You might fight it off for a while, exerting your spiritual authority, but what happens is you get lazy because it's easier just to give in to your sin. 
at least you think it is. Or the powers of darkness become like a broken record accusing us, saying, you're worthless. You'll never be good enough for God to love you. You'll never be smart enough to understand that scripture. You'll never have a good prayer life. And you might fight them off for a while, but eventually you give in to that, give up your spiritual authority because you believe the accusations because you think it's just easier just to believe them because you become lazy. Or when the powers of darkness whisper in my ears and they tell, they tell me about these distorted versions of Christianity, that, you know, if you believe this distorted version of Christianity, Evan, this version, you'll get the kingdom faster. Just vote this way, Evan. Or Evan, just change your views on things like sexuality so you can be culturally accepted. Go ahead. And what I do in those moments is I give over my spiritual authority because I think it's easier. It would just be easier if I do this. But it's actually me being lazy. And we do have spiritual authority to stand our ground. You and I have been given that. We can face temptation, deception, accusation, attack, and even possession, but we can get lazy because the fight can get exhausting. But it, listen to me, it will only be exhausting if you're relying on your own strength to do it. We're not strong enough to wrestle a lion. Even if the lion's wounded, even if the lion's chained up, you and I aren't strong enough to wrestle a lion. We're not. Instead, we need to fight the powers of darkness through the authority that's been given to us. By who? By Jesus. And in his strength. So we have the source of our spiritual authority that comes in Luke 10, 19. Jesus says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, nothing shall hurt you. See, our spiritual authority doesn't come from our own strength. It comes from Jesus. Jesus is the source of our authority over the powers of darkness. The demons were subject to the disciples in what? In Jesus' name. Jesus says, I have given you authority. Just like we've been given the Holy Spirit, like we talked about last week, we also receive the gift of authority over the powers of darkness, over scorpions and serpents, which are just like symbols in the Bible of spiritual wickedness, and over the power of the enemy. And Jesus says, nothing can hurt you. He's talking about spiritually. That can't, he can't hurt you because I've given you that authority. See, Jesus came to, into the world, John chapter 1, sorry, 1 John 3, 8 says that Jesus came to the world to destroy the work of the devil. Colossians 2 says Jesus disarmed the powers of darkness. He shamed them. He triumphed over them in his death on the cross. And Revelation 1, 18 says that through his death and resurrection, Jesus took the little authority they had left when he took away the only place Satan actually had authority when he took the keys of death in Hades. See, in the end, Satan actually has nothing. Like, that's what Revelation chapter 1, verse 18 is trying to tell us. It's like God gave authority to Satan over the dust, over worthless things, over nothing. And then Jesus comes and he takes the only thing that Satan has off of him. He's lost everything. He doesn't even have control over his parasitic kingdom, the Bible says. Because of Jesus, 
And what Jesus has done for us through the work of the Holy Spirit, God is taking the bad that comes out of that kingdom and working it for your good. Like Satan doesn't even have his control of his kingdom. He doesn't have control of the dust because even in that, God, through Jesus, is bringing back everything on earth back to the garden. And so Jesus gave his authority to you and me, and we, like the 72, go out into the world to prepare for his arrival. Jesus is going to come back one day and completely destroy the devil, and our job is to prepare, prepare for that arrival. And when we do that, there's a thrill. There's a thrill to our spiritual authority. Listen to what Jesus says. Right? They come back rejoicing, and then what does Jesus say in verse 20? He says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The thrill of spiritual authority doesn't come by what we do. It becomes by whose we are. Once we come to understand the authority we have over the powers of darkness, we use it and we'll be thrilled by the results, Jesus says. But the real thrill comes when we know whose we are, that our names are written in heaven, that we belong to God. The The real thrill comes from knowing that we've been loved by God in Jesus enough to rescue us from the parasitic kingdom and bring us into his. So what do we do now? Well, first, if we never have, we need to put our faith and trust in Jesus. Because, right, if you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're actually part of the parasitic kingdom. And God doesn't want you part of that. He wants you out of that. But secondly, we should always, always, always pray. Whenever you're tempted, whenever you feel deception, you feel accused, or you feel like somebody you know is possessed, or you feel attack coming, pray in Jesus' name. Pray. Jesus, I'm feeling like I'm hearing that track again. The thing that my mom said to me when I was young that really hurt my feelings. Just hearing it over and over again in my head. Jesus, in your name, remove that. Hit the pause button. Throw that track out. Delete it. Jesus, I feel like I want to give in to that sin again. In your name, give me the power to not give in to it. And sometimes, as much great spiritual ones are, like fasting is another great one, there's also sometimes like there's psychological and physical solutions too. Sometimes Jesus gives you breakthrough and delivers you through, through the ordinary things of life, through psychological and physical solutions like counseling or doctors or medicine. See, what Satan will do is he'll deceive you into believing you don't need those things. That you're weak if you give in to those things. You have to get a therapist. Evan, if you, have to, if you get a therapist, you're weak. Or Evan, if you go to the doctor for that, you don't have enough faith. He deceives us into thinking that we don't need those things or we're too weak or we don't have enough faith. Why? Because he wants to destroy you. There's that old story of a Christian man who died in a flood. And when the flood warnings came, his friends, what happened is they came with their truck to his house and said, hey, let's go, let's get out of here. And he said, no, no, thank you. God told me he's going to save me. And they're like, all right, well, we're going to go. So the truck left. And then the waters rose, and they keep rising, and someone comes with a boat, and they want to get him out. And he says, no, thank you. I'm good. God said he would save me. And the boat's like, all right, we're out of here. 
And then the waters rise so high that he has to wait on top of his roof. And as he sits on his roof, a helicopter comes. And it comes to save him. And he shouts, no thanks, I'm good! God said he would save me! And the way this story goes, and the helicopter leaves, and the way the story goes is the man dies, and he goes before God, and he says, hey, Father, why didn't you save me like you said you would? And God said, I sent a truck, I sent a boat, and I sent a helicopter. See, for many of us, we ask God to save us, to deliver us, and we don't feel like he does. And when we ask God, hey, God, why aren't you delivering me? Why aren't you saving me? Why aren't you helping me? And he says, I sent you a pastor. I sent you a therapist. I gave you a doctor. Hey, by the way, I put a CVS on your block. See, when the Satan is going to attack, when he's coming after us, if we're in this fight, we need to use every gift that God has given us in our spiritual arsenal to fight. So some of you, you have to admit, it's okay to not be okay, and you need to go see a therapist, and that's fine, and that's good, and that is the spiritually strong thing to do. Some of you need to talk to a doctor about something, and you need to get it taken care of, and that is the spiritually strong thing to do, to put your pride aside and your ego aside and be humble enough to do it. But we also have to fight alongside others. Richard Baxter says, if Satan tempted Christ himself when he was fasting and alone in the wilderness, how much more will he take this as an opportunity against you? See, if you isolate, Satan's going to come for you. You notice at the beginning of chapter 10, how Jesus sends out the 72, he sends them two by two. He sends them with a partner. He sends them with somebody else. See, too many of us are flying solo when we need a wingman. Too many of us are isolating when we need to be integrating. You cannot and you should not go up against Satan and the powers of darkness by yourself. This is the value of home meetings. Get in a home meeting so you don't do it yourself. But if you, regardless of your home meeting, do yourself a favor. This week, could you, could you just find one person you could let into your life and let them know what's going on? Like how you're being tempted or how you're being deceived or accused or attacked? Just text somebody for prayer or give them a call. Just one person. Don't do it alone. And have, be prepared to listen, receive the encouragement, and also receive the challenges. Right? A bad friend will aim their challenge at you. A good friend will aim their challenge at the sin behind it. So receive those things, but let somebody in. And then we all need to prepare the way of Jesus. See, yesterday, many of us prepared the way for Jesus through trunk or treat. There's some pictures of me on the screen. And we had uh, 500, about 500 people come through. Yeah, some good pictures. There's a few of them. You can just keep moving through them, Divya. And 500, about 500 people watched followers of Jesus use their spiritual authority by sharing the love of Jesus in word and deed, by simply sharing their faith or info on the church, by simply dressing up and handing out candy to our largest trunk or treat yet. And you know what? Satan hated that. Hated it. He hates those smiles on kids' faces. He hates the fun. He hates that Christians would actually carve out a part of their Saturday to serve their community. He hates it. He hates losing ground. And while we're here on earth, we, before Jesus comes back or we go to be with him, 
Satan's going to continue to throw tantrums, and he's going to hate stuff like that. He's going to hate stuff like this. He's going to hate that you wake up on Sunday mornings and go to church. He's going to hate it. But we need to continue to prepare the way of Jesus. We need to push back the darkness and exert the authority that Jesus has given us over those things. But not in our own strength, but with the authority Jesus has given us to tread on serpents and scorpions and all over the powers, the power of the enemy. And Jesus says, when you do that, because you have me, and through my strength, nothing will hurt you. Let's pray. Hey, with every, everyone's eyes closed and heads bowed, if you're here today and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus and you've been giving into the parasitic kingdom, I just want to give you a moment to just take the exit door and say, Jesus, I trust you. Please forgive me and help me live for the kingdom of God and prepare the way for you. And for the rest of us, Father, who are part of your kingdom and claim the name of Jesus, I pray that we would use our spiritual authority to push back darkness, to fight the powers of darkness. Watch over us and protect us. Watch over and protect everyone here when they feel tempted or accused or they're being attacked or they're being deceived. I pray that you would give them the power to fight back and that we would all use every weapon that you've given us in the arsenal. Some of us need to go see a therapist. Some of us need to see a doctor. Some of us just need to talk to a friend. But give us the strength to do that, Lord. We ask in your name. Amen.